So as we approach Easter Sunday, my, my heart's been stirred in sharing about what God's Word says in regards to the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross at Calvary. And today's Bible quote comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. And it says this, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is Paul writing a letter to the, the church in Corinth. Yeah? And in, in the verse before, in verse 1, he, he's, he's, he's referring to his first visitation to, to these brothers and sisters in Christ. And he said that he did not come to them with lofty words or a, a brilliance or superiority of speech. But instead, he came determined to know nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul is interesting because he wrote a good portion of the New Testament, a third or more. But he's a little bit different than the other apostles in that his first encounter with Jesus was after he rose from the dead. The other disciples and the apostles, they, they got to see Jesus living on earth and then saw and journeyed with him in regards to him dying on the cross and then seeing him resurrected. But this is the interesting thing about Paul is that he didn't get all of that. His first encounter was with the resurrected Jesus. However, Paul, throughout his letters, you read it, he is fervent in knowing about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Because you cannot know about the resurrection and the resurrected Jesus without knowing about the crucified Jesus and you can't know about just his crucifixion. It means nothing if you do not know about his resurrection. And so Paul has this revelation of knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified and the importance of that. And I pray that that is God's revelation to our hearts in this morning as we share in this very important word of when the blood of Jesus and the cross met, there was a very eternal purpose there. And may we, may we see and understand that. But before we understand the blood and the cross, we must understand covenants and God's covenant towards us. We probably heard this word because it's a very biblical word. But for us modern-day people, that is where it kind of is. It's a biblical word and a concept. But for the people of the Bible who lived in the Bible times, covenant was an everyday word. The reason that it was an everyday word was because it was an everyday occurrence and an everyday reality. In fact, every person was somehow linked to a covenant in some way. In fact, the family unit was understood as a covenant. A covenant basically is a binding unbreakable 
promise. We understand contracts, don't we? But we have to get that out of the mind to understand a co- what a covenant is. A contract basically is a, a, a vehicle where we exchange properties or services or goods, right? It, it's how we, how we transact these things together. It can be negotiated, right? It can be somehow uh, canceled even if somebody breaks a part of the contract, And so, because it's so dependent upon the character of the person or persons who are signing that contract, it's very easily breakable. A covenant is totally different. A covenant is far above the exchanges of any kinds of properties or services or goods between two people. It's actually the giving of one whole person and life to another. And the receiving wholeheartedly of that person and their life and entering into an unbreakable bond and promise that is based in unconditional love and sealed with blood. We'll look at this a little bit more. It's sealed with blood and a sacred oath and can be only broken by death. So for us to understand the blood and the cross, we must understand God's covenant to us because God's covenant, you'll see on the screen here, is eternal. And it is unbreakable. Okay? Whenever you hear the word eternal, this is what I want you to think of because this is the definition of eternal. And this is the difference between eternal and everlasting. Everlasting means that there is no end, Right? Eternal means that there is no beginning and there is no end. Anybody who is eternal? (laughs) Well, we are in Christ, but Jesus is the only person. God, the triune God, is the only person that is eternal. And his covenant is also eternal. What does this mean? Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 19-20. It was the precious blood of Christ. Before, before this verse began, it was, it, the, the, um, Peter was talking about what has, what has our salvation cost? What has, has our redemption cost? Was it gold or silver? No. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him, Jesus Christ, as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has revealed for your sake. In Revelations 13.8, you can put this verse down as well. It talks about how the Lamb, Jesus the Lamb, who was slaughtered before the world was made. So here's the thing, you guys. Before time and space was created... God determined in covenant, in his love, to create humankind to live and be with him eternally. And decided this even though he knew man would sin and destroy everything that he created for his glory. I want to just give you a quick illustration of what this kind of looks like. Imagine a a happy couple. You guys got one in, in your mind? And they're planning to have a baby. 
But somehow they are able to foreknow that this child, when they're born, would develop a horrible, horrible, horrifying disease. Yeah? That will bring incredible heartache and suffering in not only the child, but in the, in the parents taking care of this child. Not only that, they could see and know that as this child develops and grows up, that they would, he would betray them. He would betray their love, their tr- trust, turn against them with great hostility, take everything that was given to them, and destroy it. And on top of that, they would become a worshiper of Satan. They would become a Satan worshiper. Would you think this happy couple, one would be happy, and second would have this child? I don't know. It's a hypothetical. But I've heard a lot of stories, of real stories, of people and couples killing the unborn child for a lot less reasons than that. But this is a human example of something I want us to capture of what God has done in terms of determining a covenant from the beginning, before the beginning of time. That Jesus Christ was already chosen to be the Lamb of God that was slaughtered before the foundations of the earth were laid. He, he purposed that Jesus be sent to us. He would join humanity in our sinful condition, take our place, bear our sin, and pour out his blood as sacrifice for us. You see, human love, you, this, is un, this is so hard for us to understand with human love. And this is the reason. Human love is the love of the lovely and the beautiful. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? it, it it's, it's, it's what it loves is the, is the highest and best. And it does everything to possess the highest and best. And because of that, human love is incapable. No, no, I'll say this. is actually repulsed by the ugly. And anything that is lower than its standard. The source of human love, my friends, listen to this. The source of human love is in the beauty of the person who is loved. Okay? And therefore, there's a built-in incredible flaw and weakness to human love. Because as that beauty fades, what happens? So does the love fade. And it's so distractible because whenever another beautiful thing or person comes in line of my sight, I get attracted and, and start to pos- go after and pursue that. This is the extent and the highest of human love. But God's love is not like this. Praise Him. Because God's love is not wakened, it is not created by the beauty of the object. Yeah? But it rises spontaneously from God's 
own heart and his nature. You see, he doesn't just love us because we exist. He loved us into existence. We were created because he is love. Because he is love, he can love all that is spiritually ugly. He can love anything that is much lower, much, much lower than his standard. even reaches out to the enemies that are out to destroy him. And you know, this is what sin is. Let me, let's, let's be real about sin and why the self-life is so empty and destructive. Sin sets out to dethrone God. Kill him if possible. And take his place. Crown me in the place of God. This is sin. And if you understand this, if you can hear this, you then know why self must be completely denied and disassociated with. Because this is what sin seeks to do. But God in his great love reaches out. And what awakens him is not our acts of goodness. <laughs> it's not our track record of righteousness. That's not what arouses his love and his approval. No, what awakens his love is himself. It originates from him. It's not us being lovable. It's not us being able to earn it, and therefore we can't earn it. We can't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to deserve his love. Even before not only you were created and born, before this earth was put into place, he loved in covenant love to save you. His purpose for all of time, beginning before the beginning of time, was for you to be eternally joined with him. For all of eternity. And this was planned and determined in the heart of God before the world existed. God's covenant is eternal and unbreakable. It says in Hebrews 6.18, So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Why? Because he is the nature of truth himself. And so whatever he sets as a promise and a covenant is unbreakable. And for us to understand this, this, this nature of covenant, we need to also understand Jesus who, who represented us. Okay, so Jesus, second point, is the mediator of God's covenant. He's the mediator. The, the word mediator basically is the go-between. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.15 says, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance, because a death 
has taken place for the redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus was our mediator. He is our mediator, and he is our representative. Here it says, 1 Timothy 2, find that Jesus Christ is the man, Christ Jesus. You see, when a group of people prepared to enter into a covenant with another party, they selected one person, one man amongst them to represent them. And this representative was really, really important. And I, I want you to kind of um, track with me here because this different way of thinking. This representative not only had to be of the same blood and family of the one that he was representing in terms of the clan or the tribe or even the nation. This representative literally represented every single person that he was representing. So basically every person in this party that he was representing was in the representative. This is a very biblical concept. It's very important to understand. We can't grasp this. If Some of us, may, this may be a different way of thinking, but every single person was literally in this representative. Not only did this representative know and understand the needs and desires of those who he represented, every action and achievement that this representative experienced Everybody else also experiences that action and achievement, okay? So there's a one-to-one, and this is what that means to be in the representative, everybody being in the representative. This representative is also known as the guarantor of the covenant, the one who actually guarantees what's been stated and what's been put down as a covenant and guarantees its terms and promises will be kept. So this is the thing. So God enters into a covenant, right? He sets a covenant in motion, and we're on the human side. Who's going to represent us? Because on the human side, we're sinful. (laughs) We're not faithful at all. Yeah? We love darkness, and so this, this covenant, who's going to guarantee it on our side? You guys know the answer. It's Jesus. But here's the amazing thing. We were, you know, Ephesians talks about how we were sons of disobedience, by nature children of wrath, even when we're sleeping at rest. This is who we are. We're children of wrath before we were saved. So Jesus comes... And he says he was determined willingly to be our representative. Now, our representative needs to be and know us and really represent us. So as God, he could not represent us. So that's why he became a human being, to have a body. Because without a body, God could not know hunger so devastating that you want to steal just to fulfill that hunger. Without a body, you could not understand the thirst that is so great that you would kill for just a drop of water. 
without having a body and becoming a human being, you would not know the exhaustion that a person feels that it's, it would literally, you just couldn't take the next step until you would collapse. Do you understand? Without being a human being, you couldn't understand the deep, these deep grief that we feel by the impact of sin and death in our world. Without that, he wouldn't be able to have this experience of being punched in the face, kicked in the sides, have a thorn put into his, his brow where blood would be trickling down, abandoned by his friends, and but Jesus needed to know all of this to represent us. He needed to know all of this to represent man. However, he could not sin. Why? Because he represented God. Jesus is the covenant. Let this settle for you. Jesus was both the representative for the human race and for God. You see, God did not make a covenant with you and I. He made a covenant as God the Father with Jesus the Christ. This is why it's unbreakable. The man and God, Jesus Christ, represented the entire covenant. He is the whole of the covenant. Are you tracking with me? You hearing this? Jesus was not only the covenant, but he was also the sacrifice. You see, blood was always shed in the making of a covenant. An animal was slain, and this is what they've done to an animal, is that they would literally cut the animal right in the middle, in half. Yeah? Like right down this way, in half, and, and, and put the bloody dismembered animal on one of each side to represent this covenant. And what they would do is they would walk through this bloody path and would be basically saying, we're going through life, I mean, we're going through death and entering into a new life. Yeah? And not only that, they would also take their, their, their dominant hand, usually the right hand, and with a knife, cut that hand or their arm, and they would raise that bleeding arm up to the heavens and say, as God as our witness, this is our covenant. The bloodshed was a very powerful, implicit, but very powerful message that said that even if I have to shed my blood, even if I have to shed my blood, I'm going to keep this covenant. And if I do not, may I become like these dismembered animals. This is that seriousness of a covenant that is exchanging of life and of the person and receiving of that life and person. So when a person, the two parties would actually walk through this bloody path, as I mentioned, they were entering to the death of no longer living for my own self-interest anymore. 
and joining into a new union, a new relationship and union together. It's a new life. And we're living for and because of this covenant. And this is the same for us. The covenant was made and established so that we can pass through death and join in eternal union with the triune God. This is what he purposed from the very beginning, that we would share in his eternal life, in his eternal living, in his eternal nature. This was his purpose from the very beginning and again sent Jesus to accomplish this once and for all. Jesus shed his blood to forgive our sins. We've heard this. If this is the first time you've heard it, then let me say that again. Jesus bled on the cross to forgive your sins. The blood forgave our sins. In Matthew 26, 28, it says, For this is my blood, this is Jesus speaking, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. The purpose of the covenant is for you to enter into a new, unbreakable union. This is the purpose of the covenant. In Colossians 2.13 says, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the circumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. You see, this is what I want us to hear about the blood and the reason for the blood. The blood washed away your sins. It forgave all of your sins. You see, the only point of interest that God has about your sins, my friends, is to get rid of them completely, once for all. Why would he establish this covenant before even time began to be just an accountant for your sins? No, his interest in your sins is simple. It's to remember them no more. As far as the east is from the west, he will remove them and has removed them once for all. This is the purpose of why Jesus shed his blood. To forgive you from the time that he was crucified on the cross and every sin from the past to the future for all of eternity. Once for all. Jeremiah says in 31, chapter 31, 33, and 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. If you are in, in a habit where you are constantly aware of your failings and you're confronted with your own sin and how you, in your flesh, and here's what the flesh basically means, it means that in your own abilities, in your own strength, in your own organ of your mind and your brain, in your own um, resources of, of who you are, are trying to deal with your sin, it's going to be not only difficult, it's going to be impossible. 
Have you ever made a promise to God? I have. Has anybody kept it completely and perfectly? I don't see too many hands raised up, and I doubt anybody has. Because you can't. Our purpose in this life is not to make promises to God (laughs) and keep them. It's to rest in the promises of God. And His faithfulness, His unfailing faithfulness of Him bringing to fruition and manifestation and life to all that He has promised. And we say yes and amen. It is Him that is the promise keeper. It is Him that is faithful to wipe away and, and take away and free you from the power of of sin. In fact, this is what the cross is about because the blood washed away your sins, but it couldn't do anything with your identity. It may have wiped away of the chalkboard, but the cross, the cross, my friends, the cross crucified the sinner. Cuz sins cannot exist without the root of that sin. The sinner. And the cross, the cross, my friends, that Jesus died on, crucified your nature of sin. That power source of sin, once and for all, completely. Let's read here. For the love of Christ controls us in 2 Corinthians 5.14. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. This is that biblical principle that I'm talking about, that I was talking about before. Everything that Jesus, because he was our representative and the human side, Everything that he experienced, we experienced. Everything he accomplished, we accomplished. Because why? We are in him. This is what it means to be in Christ. And so when he died, when he died, you and me who accepted his death and his resurrection and salvation also died. Knowing this, Romans 6, 6 through 7 says, that our old self, this is the old sinful nature, the old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So the blood dealt with your sins. The cross dealt with the sinner. If you understand this, and I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to help us to catch this, because there is nothing. Let me ask you the question, actually. He's the one who started this covenant, right? He's the one who finished it. What did you contribute to that? What did you contribute to it? Nothing. Nada. Well, that's a Spanish word, sorry. Um, Opso. (laughs) 
Let's go with that. Nothing. You contributed nothing to it. If you understand this, then you will, you will understand your faith and the, the God, what God gave to you for faith. The faith is not in you. It's not in your ability of faith. The faith is in the object of who you put your faith in. And he's the one who began it and determined this covenant. He's the one who before time began gave you the ultimate gift of sacrifice of salvation. And he fulfilled it and he completed it. And he continues to do it. And so our faith is in him who has completed it. Now. And forever. Your sins that you experienced and you remember yesterday and this morning, perhaps, dealt with. Why? Because his interest is not trying to, oh, okay, you repented for number five and six and eight, but not number ten. Still waiting. No. Done. Dealt with. You, the sinner, because if you believe you're a sinner saved by grace, then you're not going to heaven. Because why? There's no sinners entering to heaven. Amen? So what did he do with your sinner? He killed it. He crucified it. He buried it. And then he raised you up into new life, into eternal union with him. He who is joined together with God is one spirit with him. And this covenant is unbreakable. It is eternal. So what's your part in it? Well, if, you don't, if you're not a Christian, it's to enter into this covenant by saying yes to him and believing and saying, yes, I, I hear what you're saying. Your heart, my heart is having a revelation of what it means that Jesus died for me, me and I'm choosing to say yes to you and believe it. As a believer, what's our part in it? It's just to believe it. It's no different. <laughs> to believe it and to receive it with great joy. Not just in the day of your salvation, but at every breath, every moment, this is where we live. This is how we remain and we abide in Him. This is how we... Don't try to produce any fruit on our own. I've said this before. When you hear fruit being produced, you don't hear any groaning from it. You don't hear the fruit coming out. No one tries to do that. That's not how fruit happens. It happens because of the source of life that is organically producing the fruit that when we taste of it, we see of his Incredible goodness. Accept his covenant love towards us with great joy, my friends. Understand what it means that he, his cross was that that vanquished forever your ability to sin. This is what it means that in Romans 6, 6 through 7, for he has... He who has died is freed from sin. You are freed from it. You are free from it. Do not base that on your experiences alone. Because your experience, my friend, how many years? I've lived on this earth less than 40 years. 
How long has this earth existed? Way more than that. And if I'm going to base truth based on my limited less than 40 years of experience, that sounds crazy to me. Even trying to get truth out of thousands of years of human knowledge is crazy. Because we cannot know everything and what is true. Base it on what God, who is truth, has said. And live from there. Every one of God's promises is yes in him, and therefore the amen is also spoken through him by us for his glory. 2 Corinthians 1.20. I love that. Because his promises are yes in him, we say, the reason we say amen is that he says it through us for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we, can, we don't have to rely on our minds to understand the vastness of, of what you have spoken to us today. That, that you set eternity in our hearts so that we can, never, we can never be satisfied knowing all that you've done from the beginning to the end. That, that it just leaves us in complete, forever, eternal wonder and awe of who you are because you are great. There is no limit to who you are. And to be able to hear from you, eternal God, words that are full of eternal life into our, into our being, wow. Thank you. It's all we can say is thank you. And I want to pray with our with our friends here who are, who are right now being stirred by this message of salvation. If you are not a believer, meaning that you have not believed that Jesus is the Son of God who came to die for you, to forgive you of your sins and to raise you into new life with them, then I, then I want to join with you in praying this. If He, the Holy Spirit, is convicting you right now, pray with me. Because this is going to change your whole life. Father God, thank you for this message of salvation. Thank you that Jesus came for me that he shed his blood to forgive everything that has led to death in my life I accept Jesus as my savior and my lord and I enter into this exchange of lives I exchange my filthy death life for his perfect life to be united with you forever. And in this, in this prayer, and in this believing, the Holy Spirit has been deposited into you to dwell within you, to teach you about Jesus and his eternal life living in you. 
Thank you, Jesus, that not only that you dealt with our sins, but the sins that have been committed against us. And I want to pray, especially for those, I believe, that are here, that are actually in places where they have been stricken and been hunted and maybe having dealt with the power of sin that has been impacted by somebody else's sin against them, the hurt and the power. And I thank you that in Jesus' name that you freed them from it. Thank you that you've dealt with this by the blood of Jesus and the cross of Calvary. And work this truth in their hearts. Praise you, Father, for you alone are good. You alone are great. We thank you and pray in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen.